Well, friends, here we are, Pandemonium Week 4. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we've been in a teaching series called Pandemonium. And um, there's some irony in that because we've all been experiencing different levels of pandemonium over the last several months. But uh, even for today, uh, I'll let you in on a little secret. Uh, Most of you probably have figured this out by now, but uh, we have uh, been pre-recording our messages for the last several months uh, to get ready for the weekends. And uh, yesterday, um, on Thursday, Mark was preparing to teach uh, from out of town. Him and Laura are with family waiting the arrival of their next grandbaby. And um, in a kind of a freak, bizarre accident, Mark has blown out his knee. And uh, it sounds like it's pretty bad. And uh, so he wasn't able to teach yesterday. And so made some phone calls and rallied the team. And here we are filming on Friday for this weekend. And uh, so we obviously want to be praying for Mark as he manages pain and uh, continues to see doctors and and figure out all that's going on with his knee, pray for quick healing in that. Uh, We want to pray for the arrival of the baby, that that would go well. Uh, But we also want to continue to look towards next weekend, uh, September 13th, as we reopen. I know that Mark and Laura are incredibly excited about being back and us being on campus together. Uh, Even on all this, I said pandemonium. Uh, because things are kind of crazy and unexpected things are happening. And, you know, one of the things I want to say, just because I think it's important, there's a lot of people here at Community Faith that do a lot of things behind the scenes, kind of behind the curtain. Nobody ever knows who they are. They don't ever get a lot of uh, celebratory applause, but we have had a team over the last several months who has been putting together the online content for us to connect with, to watch together. And I just want to celebrate them. They are awesome. Uh, Some of them are in the room right now and they're probably feeling a little bit awkward because I'm talking about them, but um, Cherie Howard, Corey Witt, Colby Sills, David Rudd, Ray Prisoner, Adam Brake, um, many others who have invested hours and hours and hours in editing film, in doing things. I don't even know how to communicate because I don't even know what it all is because I'm just not a techie. Um, It's all way over my head, Um, but they've been working on audio levels and mixing sound and just creating environments that are engaging to watch so that we can continue to grow in our faith with Jesus. And so um, if you see any of them or uh, you're friends with them on Facebook or social media, give them a shout out. Let them know how much you appreciate them. I know that we do as well, Uh, but we're going to dive in today. Uh, Pandemonium week four. And I want us to dive into a story that's a familiar story. In Matthew chapter 14, uh, Jesus and his disciples have been um, engaged with people. Jesus is performing miracles. And we pick up in this story uh, where things are a little bit crazy. And uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and read the first verse. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 13, says this. It says, Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. Now we've got to pause to understand the context of what's going on in this moment. In this very moment, Jesus has just learned that one of his closest friends, John the Baptist, has lost his life. And he lost his life in a traumatic way. He was beheaded um, and the disciples have just let Jesus know. So in this moment, Jesus is overwhelmed with uh, grief, I would assume. He's hurting. He's probably thinking about the traumatic experience that was happening. He's probably also tired because he's been traveling. He's been on the road. He's been doing ministry, uh, walking through lots of different crazy, chaotic situations. A lot of pandemonium going on in these days that Jesus was on this earth. He's been ministering to people. And at a time where he's grieving, when he's sad, he's hurting, it says he just needs to get away. And it says that he's getting away to a secluded place by himself. Look what it says in verse 14. 
or at the end of verse 13, I'm sorry. It says, and when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. I mean, I, I look at the story and I try to put myself in the mindset of Jesus and he's trying to get away. He needs some space. He needs some space to just disconnect from everything that's going on in the world around him to deal with some personal grief. I think something we need to pay attention to in here is that we see the humanity of Jesus. We also recognize that not only was he fully man, but he was fully God. And so there's something unique happening. When I think about the humanity of Jesus, I know what he was experiencing. I can try to connect with the emotions and the grief that he was feeling in this moment. And he just needs to disconnect and get away. And what do the people do? They follow him. I mean, they get on their jet skis. It doesn't actually say that. They walk by foot to the other side of the shore and they're demanding, they're expecting, they're relying on Jesus to focus on them. I mean, if anybody needed to be focused on, if anybody needed to uh, have some people pay attention to what was going on in his life, it was Jesus. But yet these people show up on the other side and they're wanting Jesus to pay attention to them. And it says in verse 14, when he went to shore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. You know, it's interesting that Jesus walking through this time just wants to get away, find some seclusion, to just be alone. And I think even there, I think there's a, there's a moment where maybe we just need to pause and kind of a side note to today's message because the focus of the message today is on the compassion of Jesus. But before we see the compassion of Jesus in this passage, we see Jesus find himself in a secluded place, in a secluded moment on a boat. And I think for some of us, as we're walking through this pandemonium, there might be a step, a little additional sidestep in this story that maybe we need to take because you find yourself in a place of authority or leadership. Maybe you're a mom, you're a dad, a husband, a wife, you're a business leader, someone in the community that people are looking to, that have, they have expectations for you and for your life, and they're demanding things of you. And the reality of that is that it can be really overwhelming and you can get frustrated because you're like, man, I just need to take a step back. I just need to pause. I need some time away. And you're having a difficult time stepping towards that seclusion. Maybe you're a school teacher, a school administrator, and you're about to start school in just a couple of days. You've probably been back in the classroom, but you're about to welcome students to your classroom. And here's, here's what I want to do. Even in this moment, this might be a little bit different for us, but hey, it's, it's 2020. Everything's different. But I want to pray specifically for our teachers our school personnel, our school administrators. And so um, if you're watching and there's a chat box next to the screen that you're watching on, I'd, I'd encourage you just to go ahead and drop a name in there of maybe a school teacher you know or an administrator, somebody you would like for us to agree together and pray for right now in this moment as they're walking into a new school year and everybody in the world has expectations and opinions on how the school year is supposed to go. And I just wanna pray right now for those that are gonna be leading and teaching taking care of the children in the school year. So will you pray with me for just a moment? Drop some names in there that you want us to be praying for as well. And let's pray. Father, we pray right now. We just pause. And we know that 2020 has been crazy. There's been a lot of unexpected circumstances going on, a lot of things being uh, navigated that have never been navigated before. And so right now we just wanna pause and specifically pray for the leadership at our schools, for the administrators, for the teachers, for the coaches, for the staff, for all the personnel that work together to provide education for our children. God, I pray that you would protect them, that you would encourage them today. Uh, we pray against the virus. We pray that uh, they would stay well, that you would give them good health, not just physically, but also mentally, spiritually. 
God, use them this year. Use this opportunity, this influence they have to make an impact for your kingdom. God, we trust them in your hands. We trust this year in your hands. And we know that you're gonna do some incredible things through all of those that are working within our school systems. God, we love you. We trust you in Jesus' name, amen. We're praying for you, teachers. We'll continue to pray for you. But as I think about this, I was thinking about us. Jesus needs to get away. He gets away and he has this moment of silence and solitude as he's in this boat. But as he gets to the other side, he comes ashore. There's all the people and they're like, hey, Jesus, we got some things we need you to do for us. We've got some needs that need to be met. You know, for me, I'd have been like, hey, you guys need to get lost because I just need some time. I mean, have you ever had that moment? Maybe you come home from work and your kids are demanding your attention or your spouse is demanding your attention or has expectations that you've got to do something now that you're home from work. That's kind of what Jesus is experiencing, but probably to an even higher level, to an even more extreme. And in this moment when he's hurting, it says that he feels compassion for them and healed their sick. If there was anybody that needed compassion, it was Jesus. But yet he's the one who shows and displays the compassion. You know, in 2020 and all the craziness of it, I found myself in some places where I have started to throw my own little pity party, kind of get into this funk. I mean, have you been there? Have, have you had those moments where you're just kind of in this funk and you don't really know how to get out of it? Everything's just kind of frustrating and, and, and you're, just, you're just kind of stuck. We get there. And so I want us to be encouraged. And I want us to look at the life of Jesus and what he does in this, because I think he wants to do something in us and through us today, this week. Because in crisis, compassion is the foundation for a miracle. We're about to read about an incredible miracle that Jesus is going to perform. It says that he healed their sick. So he was performing numerous miracles on this day that was all fueled and stirred by his compassion for people in a time where he was hurting deeply. Here he is extending, leveraging his compassion, his time, his energy, his emotion towards people who are expecting big things from him. And I think there's something for us to learn in this. As we look at miracles that Jesus performs all throughout the New Testament, there's two things that we can look at in every single miracle. Two things that can stick out to us. The first thing is it tells us something about us. It tells us something about Jesus. We can examine ourselves, we can examine our own lives and learn some things about the life that he's called us to live, but it also shows us something about Jesus. And when we learn more about Jesus, it deepens our understanding of who he is and who he is to us. And we see that in the miracles that he's performing here and the miracle we're about to read about in this passage. Jesus is in a crisis in his life and he's performing these insane miracles because his compassion was so strong for the people. Look what the story, look how the story goes on in verse 15. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Now in this moment, the disciples are hangry. I mean, they've kind of had enough. I mean, they've been following Jesus. They're with Jesus in this moment. Jesus has been performing miracles all day long, healing the sick, meeting the needs of the people, overwhelmed with compassion for them. And his disciples were probably helping, trying to manage the crowd, manage the situation, watching Jesus do all the cool work. It reminds me of being a kid. My dad loves to cut firewood with chainsaws. And it literally was one of the traditions of Thanksgiving day. My dad would say, hey boys, it's time to go cut some firewood. And we hated it. 
because all we had to do was pick the wood up and put it in the back of the truck. My dad got to have all the fun with the chainsaw. And so when we got to the end of the day, he was like refreshed, he was having fun. And we're like, man, that was terrible. I I think the disciples might've been thinking the same thing. They're watching Jesus do all these amazing things. They're tired, they're exhausted. And like, Jesus, you gotta send these people away because they're hungry. They've got some needs that need to be met. And it's interesting how Jesus responds to what they say in this moment. They're like, hey, let's, let's send them away, Jesus. And look at what Jesus' response is. But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. You know, Jesus could have said, hey guys, you know what? You're right. Go ahead and send them away. He could have said, guys, you're right. They're hungry. Just hang on a second. I'm gonna take care of this. Let me give them something to eat. But instead he flips it around on them and he says to them, they do not need to go away. Don't don't send them anywhere. You give them something to eat. Here's what I want us to think about. All day long, the disciples have been watching Jesus, understanding that Jesus was hurting, that Jesus was grieving and mourning the loss of a close friend, yet stirred with compassion for people. He was serving the people. He was loving people well. And so they had watched him do this all day long. And it was his compassion that was the foundation of the miracles they had observed all day. And they get to the end of the day and they're exhausted. And they say, Jesus, you got to send these people away. And Jesus says something, he goes, hang on, I've got another miracle I want to perform. But this time the miracle is not going to be just because of me. You're going to participate in it. They've watched Jesus and his compassion all day long. And now Jesus is giving them an opportunity to have compassion for these people so that a miracle can happen. And he says, you're going to feed them. You're going to do this. You know, I think the miracle we're about to read about, the feeding of the 5,000, was actually a lot more about the 12 disciples than it was the 5,000, the 20,000 that were on the hillside this day that were hungry. I think he wanted these disciples to recognize something. Look what happens. Verse 17, they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And the disciples are looking at Jesus and they're basically saying to Jesus, Jesus, uh, we don't have what it takes. There is no way we can feed these people. In other words, they're saying, hey, Jesus, we're not adequate to accomplish what it is you're calling us to accomplish, which is exactly where Jesus wants us to be. He wants us to be filled with compassion for people, but also to recognize that we don't have what it takes to do everything that people around us need to be done but he wants us to bring to him what we have. Whatever you have, bring it to me. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what he's saying to them. They're saying, hey, we only have five loaves and two fish. This is all we got, Jesus, and there's no way it's enough. Do you see the thousands of people? Jesus responds again and says, and he said, bring them here to me. In other words, bring what you have. Whatever it is, how little, however much, just bring it to me. And then Jesus does something amazing. But I want us to pause right here because I think it's important for us to recognize. Jesus is asking us to do the same thing. As we begin to follow Jesus, we begin to experience Jesus in our lives. He's saying, bring what you got. Just bring everything that you are, everything that you have, just bring it to me. 
And I know that the tension that this creates in our lives is a little bit tricky because we begin to think, I don't have a whole lot. I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of strength. I don't have a lot of success. I don't have a lot of popularity. I don't, my influence isn't strong. I don't have a lot of access. I, I don't have a lot. Or maybe you're on the flip side of that and you think, no, I've got a lot. But all the things that I have are nothing that you want, Jesus. I've got a past. I've got some regrets. I've got some pain. I've got some addiction. I've got some things in my life that I'm not proud of. I've got some doubt. I've got some questions. And there's no way you want all that. But I think what Jesus wants us to see in this passage today is he's saying, whatever it is you have, don't worry about what you don't have. You just bring all that you do have and you just bring it to me. The time, the voice, the influence, the money, whatever it is, the talents, the gifts, bring it to me. Bring what you've got and give it to me. Look how the story finishes up. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish. Looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. What an incredible story. You know, for some reason, Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he wrote this, he felt it was important to include the number of people. Scholars believe and, and, and agree on the fact that he numbers the, the number of men, which means that's how many men were in the crowd. But when you factor in the possibility of women and children in the crowd, this crowd was up to 20,000 people. 20,000 people on this day who witnessed a miracle that was fueled by the compassion that Jesus had for the people. But he was wanting to teach the disciples something. He was wanting them to recognize something. Yeah, 20,000 people got to be a part of a miracle. They were able to experience something about this man named Jesus. But I believe he wanted the disciples to recognize that he wanted to use them to continue his work in this world. He wanted us to be catalyst of the work. He wants to work in us and through us. And the same is true for us as we read the story. He's wanting to, to stir something in us. He has given us things. He has given us opportunities and influence and talents, resources, money, gifts, time to make an impact for his kingdom. You know, when I think about um, Michael Jordan, I, I'm, a, I'm a product of the 90s. I grew up in the 90s. I was a kid in the 90s and there were the Gatorade commercials, Be Like Mike. And some of you, even as I say that, you can kind of hear the song playing in your head, Like Mike, Want to Be Like Mike. When you think about that, we all wanted to be like Michael Jordan problem was is this white boy can't jump. So this white boy can't dunk unless you got one of those adjustable rims that can come down and gets back down to like six feet. And then I got a chance. I mean, back in those days, I couldn't even palm a basketball. So I called up the New England Patriots and they had a tip where you can let a little air out of the ball and then it was easier to palm. Some of you get that. Some of you understand that. But when you think about Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan was incredible at the game of basketball. You put this orange round ball in his hand and he did amazing, remarkable things with it. I mean, there's no debate here. Michael Jordan is the goat. I know LeBron's a beast. I know James Harden's a beast. 
and they're amazing, but Michael Jordan's a goat, and you can't argue with me right now because I'm talking to a camera. And we could probably have some friendly debate about that. But what's interesting about Michael Jordan is that he was an amazing basketball player, but he also tried to do some other things. In between his championship runs, he decided to take a little bit of a break from basketball and he began to play in movies. Remember Space Jam? Remember Michael Jordan as an actor? Terrible. He tried playing baseball. You remember that? Some of you are like, no, I wasn't born yet. But for those of you that were, do you remember Michael Jordan trying to play baseball? He was, he was average at best. And then even after he retired, he decided he wanted to be an owner of some basketball teams. And there's a lot of debate on whether that's been good for him or not. I would say he's made some really good memes over the last few years. But you put a round orange ball in Michael Jordan's hands and it's remarkable. And the reason that I tell you that is because every single one of us have been gifted We have been given things by God to use for his glory and for his kingdom impact. And when we recognize the things that we have and we're not looking at what everybody else has, he wants to take those things. He wants us to bring him those gifts, the abilities, the talents, the influence, the time, the resources. He wants us to say, hey, God, this is is all yours. Now use me. And it's gotta be fueled by this compassion we have for other people. And when we do that, It sets us up to be a part of the miracle that he wants to do through our lives. Push back the lie that you are not capable, that you don't have enough, that you're not able to be used by God. All throughout scripture, this entire book is full of stories about ordinary people doing extraordinary things for God's kingdom. He wants to use you. And I don't know that there's a more critical time than where we are right now in our world, where God wants to use his people to do incredible things. I had this thought several months back where I was just thinking about all this going on. And I often will get asked this question. People say, hey, if God is so good and if God loves me, then why are all these things going on around us? And I've had that thought some over the last few months. And I've, I am, I'm solid in my faith and I know that God is with me, but there are times where that thought creeps in your head and you're like, hey God, wh- where are you? I remember having that thought and then quickly this thought came into my mind where God said, I'm here, but where's my church? Where's my church in this moment? Where's the church that is being fueled by compassion for people to be used to live out the miracles in this world so that his name would be made famous around us. That's what he did on this day in this crowd of people. And here's the tension that this creates for me. Oftentimes, especially in times like right now where there's a lot of things going on and I have days that are overwhelming, days of conflict, frustration, even grief, mourning the loss of some things or people that I once had or had a relationship with that I don't anymore. That when I find myself in a place where compassion is necessary, a place where God has set me up to be compassionate so that his love would be seen in me and through me, that oftentimes criticism is seen more than compassion. I can be incredibly critical. It's part of, it's part of my personality. It's something I don't like about myself that when I'm often triggered by something, then I become critical about whatever is going on or towards the people that are causing anything that's going on in my life. I think it's something that God has been trying to show me and trying to teach me. He is calling us out. He is calling you out that instead of being critical, 
Instead of being loud in how you feel or, or what you think or what you believe, he's first calling us to be compassionate because in Christ, when you lead with compassion, you are setting the foundation for miracles to happen in your life and through your life in the lives of those around you. It's an incredible opportunity and I don't know that the opportunity has been more critical than it is right now. We struggle with this because we're often triggered by people, we're triggered by conversations. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, scrolling through Facebook in some free time that I had and I came across a video from my oldest son, Braden, who's 11 now, but he was one in this video and we had posted it on Facebook. And in the video, Brayden is walking around the living room with a coat hanger in his hand, hitting everything in the living room, just saying, dad, 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 dad. And me and Brandy are sitting there and laughing at him. I'm like, what is, what is wrong with our child? He's just walking around for minutes. Dad, 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 dad. And so we started having some fun with it. And I started saying, hey, Brayden, who's the smartest? Dad, 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 Brayden, who's, who's the strongest? Dad, 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 dad. Brayden, who's better, mom or dad? Dad, 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 dad. Just having a lot of fun with it, laughing. I, it was so bizarre. And then all of a sudden, Brandy stops and she goes, hey, Brayden, who's ugly? And he pauses and stops what he's doing. And he looks up and he gets this big smile on his face and he goes, daddy. <laughs> and so I spanked him and I put him in his crib. No, I really didn't do that. But in that moment, it was, we laughed and joked about it. But aren't there times where, somebody says something to us or something about us, or they do something that offends us. And then we have a response in that moment. And oftentimes I wanna respond with retaliation. I respond with resentment, with criticism, with bitterness, with unforgiveness. And I think even in the difficult times, even in the crazy chaotic times, we're to respond with compassion because that's how Jesus would respond. It leads us somewhere. It's life-changing. It makes an impact in the world around us. You know, for Jesus, this wasn't just a one-time moment. You know, I think he's setting us up right now in this moment in history in 2020. He is setting us up to be a part of some incredible miracles at Community of Faith, in our city, and all around the world. But I think it's important for us to reflect and understand that what Jesus did in this story wasn't the only moment or the only day of compassion in Jesus's life. He lived a life of compassion, compassion towards other people. It was a daily thing, it was a daily practice. Even when he went to the cross, he gets to the cross and he begins to um, experience incredible physical pain disappointment, heartache, sadness, frustration, every negative, painful emotion that we could ever even imagine. And even in that moment, he's looking at the guards who are hanging him on the cross and he's saying, Father, please forgive them. Compassion. He looks to the thieves on his right and his left and he begins to dialogue with them with compassion. It was the greatest display of compassion and love in the history of the world, the day that Jesus went to the cross. And I think there's something in us as we recognize that and we see that, that it stirs something different in us. Because just like the disciples had watched Jesus all day long on that day before he called them to act on their compassion, to allow him to do a miracle through their lives, they continued to watch 
We get to continue to look back and reflect on the life of Jesus, but not just on the life before he went to the cross, but the life that he came back to life too. And the fact that he is living today and it stirs something in us that's not of us. It allows us to lay our opinions down. It allows us to lay our hurt down. It allows us to lay down our political affiliations, our agendas. It allows us to lay everything down that's important to us and bring everything to him that we have and say, we want to be used by you. We trust you. We lay our lives down for you because of the compassion that you had for us, what you did in my place. So here's my life. And in you, Jesus, I will focus on compassion because it's in that compassion that you wanna shape and stir miracles in my life and in the lives of those around me. So where does this land for you today? Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never really laid your life down. You never brought anything to Jesus. Maybe today you finally recognize that you don't wanna live that way anymore that you want Jesus to be the ultimate in your life. You want Jesus to be the number one. No longer do you want to be the number one. No longer do you want to call the shots, but today you recognize and you acknowledge that I need to go a different direction. And that direction is a direction that's chasing and following after Jesus. If that's you today, maybe maybe you've gone off track, you've lost focus and today you're realizing that and you just, you just wanna come back. You wanna get back in line with who Jesus wants you to be. I'm gonna ask you to do something bold. I'm gonna ask you to say yes to Jesus. I'm gonna ask you to say yes to his love, to say yes to his grace, to his mercy, to say yes to his plans and purposes for your life, to say yes to his forgiveness, yes to surrender. Jesus, this is my life. And if that's you today, I just wanna give you this opportunity. I just wanna lead you into a conversation, a dialogue with your heavenly father. Right now, wherever you are, wherever you're sitting, You can say this out loud. You don't have to say it out loud, but just say this to God right now, something along the lines of this. Dear God, I'm sorry for sinning against you. I'm sorry for making mistakes. I ask that you forgive me. Thank you for loving me. I've made mistakes, but today, I trust you and I give you my life. Tell him that and then ask him, say, God, show me how to live. Give me strength to live for you every day forward from this day on. Amen. Listen, in Christ, when we lead with compassion, we set the foundation for a miracle. And as you think about this today, I just wanna leave you with three quick questions to have some conversation about, to dialogue about with those that you're watching with today, or maybe some, work, some people you work with, your family, whoever it is that you're watching with today or this week, just walk through these three questions and answer these questions with each other. The first one is this, describe a time recently where you were tired, sad, or overwhelmed, and someone was demanding your attention. How did you respond? Think about that. The second question, describe a time in your life when you experienced compassion from someone else and the impact that that had on your life. And then the third question, identify an area in your life where criticism is more evident than compassion 
and recognize one step that you could take this week to begin to steer that in a different direction. Community of Faith, I love you. I can't wait to see you next weekend, but even if you're not ready to come back, we're gonna still be live. We're gonna still be online, 9.30, 11.30 and 5 p.m. starting next week. We'll be in person at 9.30. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity to just look to your word and allow it to shape and impact our lives. I pray for my friends that are watching from wherever they're watching from, would you continue to work in their lives? Would you continue to shape something that's special and unique, that's refreshing? Would you empower and equip us this week to do the work that you've called us to do? We look forward with great expectation of the, of the day, whenever that is for each person to gather together with others. We love you, we trust you. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Community of faith, have a great week.